The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. So we've talked about a lot of different qualities of a city changer uh, over the past few weeks. And as good preachers, they've all started with the letter I. Uh, So Pastor Roby's talked to you about uh, being innovative at work, being incarnational, bringing the witness of Jesus to those around us. We even talked about investing in God's kingdom, investing our lives in God's kingdom, not our own. And today we want to talk about inviting. And I firmly believe that through inviting, living an inviting life, inviting people into our lives, inviting people into our faith community and introducing them to Jesus. By doing these things, we can transform our community and transform our city for the sake of the gospel. And invitations can be powerful. They're simple, but they can be powerful. I think of some of the most powerful invitations uh, in my life. And what comes to mind was one, probably when I was like 16, 17 years old, um, I was in high school. Uh, My parents uh, are Christian and we grew up going to church and and doing the whole church thing. And they, but I didn't really have like a lot of friends at church. I would just kind of go on Sundays and then I would leave because mom and dad wanted me to go and I couldn't drive. So I had to go with them. Uh, And we would go to church on Sundays and we would go. And a lot of people asked me, uh, to go to youth group, right? Like our youth pastor, he'd be like, hey, are you going to come check out our youth group? My parents are like, hey, you should get involved in the youth group. You should like make some friends here. You know, they're trying to, trying to be good parents, but I don't want to go to youth group. Um, one, I didn't know anybody at youth group. And two, even though I didn't know them, I knew that they would be weird. All right. Like I knew, I just knew, I just knew that. Right. And I didn't want to go to youth group, but, you know, people kept talking to me about it and it kind of to make people happy, I decided to, to go one week. And so uh, I'd gone a couple times here or there, but I was like, no, I'm going to really give it and give it a shot. I hadn't gone for a long time. So I went to youth group and I, you know, came in, I was kind of nervous. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know, you know, where to sit. And I probably, you know, looked like this as I walked in and uh, the youth pastor, he knew me. He came up and said, oh, hey, Craig, so good to see you. It's your first time, right? I was like, yeah, it's my first time here. Like, oh man, we're so glad you're here. And I'm like, yeah, we'll see, you know. (laughs) And uh, he's like, well, hey, let me, let me introduce you. He says, hey, hey, come over here. Hey, hey. And he calls this guy. He says, hey, Scotty, Scotty, come over here. Come here, Scotty. And he brings over this guy, Scotty. And he says, hey, Scotty, this is Craig. Craig, this is Scott. Um, Scott, this is Craig's first time here. Would you show him around? And Scott, just a, such a simple invitation, such a small, simple thing. He was like, yeah, man, come, come sit with me. Come meet, come meet my friends. And so Scotty, you know, he's wearing his T-shirt and his baggy cargo shorts because that was popular back then, right? Takes me up to the front row, the front row on my first time. Oh, my gosh. He introduces me to these guys, these kind of goofy looking guys, but um, we have a really good time and, and I hang out with them and we have a great, a great night and he's just, you know, so welcoming, just like, here's my friends, you know, here's what he's into. We talked about sports and video games and all the things that teenage boys talk about and we became buddies, we became friends and I started coming back week after week and hanging out with those guys. And slowly over time, those guys, this, this group of strangers started to become some of my closest friends and they're still some of my closest friends to this day. And even more importantly than meeting Scotty, though I love Scotty, he's one of my best friends. Even more importantly that he introduced me to his girlfriend and she introduced me to her sister who was single, <laughs> who would later become my wife. <laughs> yes, 
a powerful, powerful invitation. Yes. Now, what I didn't tell you in the story is that uh, my wife is a triplet. And so her sister is identical to her. So several times, Scotty had to reintroduce me to like, hey, this is your girlfriend and this one's mine. It's really, it is, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. It is very difficult to be charming and make a good first impression when you walk in a room and you don't know exactly who you're dating in that room. It was very difficult, but I was like, okay, that's okay. I would just stand there and say, okay, they came with me. Okay, that was probably them, right. But it was great. It worked out, right? But I think back, like, what a small moment of Scott just saying, hey, yeah, so glad you're here. Come sit with me. Come meet my friends. Just this small moment of hospitality and kindness and friendship, this small moment of invitation that changed my life forever, changed my faith, changed my friend group, introduced me to my wife. These are like huge things, right? My life, the course of my life is so different now because of that small invitation that he would be hospitable, that he would be friendly, that he'd invite me to his community and introduce me to the people in his life. Man, that is such a, a, a small example, but a powerful example of how invitations can change our city. And I'm a firm believer that we can do the same thing, that if we want to change our church, change our community, and change our city, we want to be city changers, it starts through personal invitation and living an inviting life, inviting people to our community and introducing them to Jesus. Now, no one in the Bible really demonstrates this better than John the Baptist. Um, a little background on John the Baptist. At the time of Jesus, uh, just before Jesus got started, John was getting started with his ministry. John is a relative of Jesus. And here's what you need to know about John. John is a wild, crazy desert man, okay? Uh, John, the Bible says, John spent his youth out in the wilderness, and then as he enters into adulthood and starts his public ministry, uh, John goes, sets up camp at the side of the Jordan River. He eats bugs dipped in honey. He calls people to repentance, and he starts calling out the king and the religious elite for their sins. And this makes John extremely popular, like a rock star in Israel. He's one of the most well-known people in Israel at this time. Like the king not only knows who John is, the king is worried about John, that he might lead a revolt. He's that popular. And so as John the Baptist is out there, he's baptizing people in repentance. He's preparing them saying, hey, God's about to do this big thing. God's about to do this new thing. Get ready, get ready. As John is preaching this message, man, the Lord's favor is on him. And he gains this huge following. He gains these disciples that come out to hear him every day. The people from the town come out to the side of the river to hear his preaching. People start to baptize with him. Like he has his own disciples who, who stay and teach along with him and do baptism with him and follow him and sit under him and learn from him. He has this growing movement happening, unlike anything that had been seen in that generation so far. And it's in this moment where the religious leaders are like, hey, we've got to figure out who this John guy is. Like, we've got to see, right? They've read the Old Testament. They know the promises. They know the prophecies that they're waiting for a king, a redeemer, a savior, a rescuer of God's people. And it's almost out of fear that they go out to see, like, John, is, is it you? Are you the one? that we've been waiting for. But they send a delegation out. 
to go see John. So we're going to pick up this story here in the book of John, chapter 1. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open up your Bible. If you have an app, that works too. Uh, We'll also have the verses up here on the screen. But John, chapter 1, starting in verse 19, says this. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? They come out to John, they send this religious delegation, the religious elite, and they come out to him and they're like, hey John, you're, you're not the Messiah, right? You're not the one we've been waiting for? He says, no. Then who are you? What are you doing? John, what is this movement about? All these people are coming to you. They're listening to you. They're getting baptized by you. You're preparing them. You're saying God's about to do this new thing. What is this new thing and what is your message? What are you about? Now, I want you to put yourself in that moment, okay? John is a big deal. The people love him. He has this growing influence, this growing ministry, and the religious leaders have come to him to find out who he is. He didn't go to them. They've come to him. This movement has gotten so big and so powerful. It has so much momentum behind it that the religious leaders are basically showing up and saying, hey, John, should we crown you as our new king, as our new Messiah, as our new savior? John could have said, yeah, I'm, I'm the one you're looking for. Take me to the temple. Yeah, I'm, I'm the one you're looking for. Take me to the king. Yeah, I'm the one that you're looking for. Come get baptized and follow me. But John, John doesn't do that. He refuses to make it about himself. Look what else he says in verse 23. They ask him, well, who are you? He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now the Pharisees had been, now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, he said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. John says, look, you're coming to me asking if I'm the Messiah, if I'm the Savior, if I'm the rescuer, if I'm the king that you're looking for. And John could have said, yeah. He could have taken the glory, taken the acclaim, taken the influence. But he says, no, 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 no. He says, there's one to come after me, and I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. In other translations, he says, I baptize with water, but there's one to come after me who baptizes with fire and the Holy Spirit. He refuses to make his ministry and his life and the people around him about himself and about his own glory, but rather he always points to Jesus. So you could... Put yourself in that moment and think the crowd is probably, 
maybe let down, maybe excited, maybe a little confused, thinking, John, you're the biggest deal in town. Like, everyone is talking about you. You're the religious leader. The king is worried about what do, what do you mean there's going to be one greater than you to come? But we know from the gospels that by this time, Jesus has just started his public ministry. And in fact, he's come to John for this baptism. And in that moment, John testifies that he would see the heavens open up and the voice of God declare that Jesus is his beloved son. John knows, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. Look what he says the next day, the Bible says, verse 29, the next day, the next day, he, John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and bore witness that this is the son of God. John says, you were, you were looking for someone. You came out here looking for a savior, a rescuer, a Messiah. John says, I'm not, I'm not that guy, but I know who is. It's Jesus. He's the one that you're looking for. He's the promised deliverer. He is the promised Messiah. John takes this ministry this influence, this following that he has, this group of people, he takes all of it and he lays it down at the feet of Jesus. And he says, all of you who are following after me, all of you who are looking for a savior and a Messiah, he says, don't look to me, but look to him, look to, to Jesus. And he introduces them all to Jesus. And when I read this story, I think like, wow, like the humility of John right? Like, what a humble guy. He refuses to make it about himself. He elevates Jesus, says, hey, I'm not the one Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. That's really humble. And, and John is an example of humility. But here's the other part. It's also true, right? Like, it's also true. John's not just being humble when he says, Jesus, this Jesus comes before me because he was before me. He's not just, you know, praising him for no reason. This is true. John knows. He saw the heavens open up and declare that this is the son of God. He knows the scriptures. He knows the promises. And he knows he's not the savior. But Jesus is. He knows that Jesus can offer these people something that he could never offer them. That is salvation, eternal life in his name. And he looks at Jesus and he says, behold, the lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of of the world. Yeah, what truth? What truth? 
The Bible would tell us that John's promise and declaration and prophecy would come true. The Bible tells us that Jesus would live a perfect life without sin. That out of love for you and love for me, he would go willingly to the cross and die a death on the cross, a sacrificial death for your sins and mine. That he would become the sacrificial lamb of God and would take on the sin of the world. The Bible says that he would die on that cross, but three days later, rise from the grave, conquering sin and death and proving John and everybody else true that he was and is the Lamb of God, the Son of God who sits on the throne. Man, John was speaking the truth, pointing people to Jesus. But I don't want you to overlook this. That in this moment, there's a real cost to John. In this moment, he has followers. He has a growing movement of people who look to him as their religious leader and as their teacher. And by pointing out Jesus as the Lamb of God, the Son of God, John is in a very real way losing followers, losing influence, losing power and prestige, and handing it over to Jesus. And so we know from the Bible that from this moment on, the Gospel of John starts to follow the story of Jesus. It only checks back in with John the Baptist later. That it goes from John being the main religious figure and teacher in Israel to Jesus becoming the main teacher and religious figure in Israel. And we start to see the growing influence and power of Jesus and the diminishing influence and power of John. And so some of the followers of John recognize this happening too, and just a couple chapters later go to John and ask him about it. So we look in John chapter 3, starting in verse 25, says this, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John's followers are coming to him and they're saying, hey, John, that, that Jesus guy that you pointed out, that Jesus guy that you bore witness to, that Jesus guy that you said was the, the lamb of God, the, the son of God who's come to take the sin of the world, said, I don't know if you've noticed this, but he's become really popular. Like, people aren't coming to us anymore to get baptized. They're, they're going to him and his followers to get baptized. People aren't coming to listen to us anymore. They're not coming to hear you teach, John. They're going to Jesus to hear him teach. And there's almost this kind of like business mindset coming from this disciple saying, hey, John, like, this isn't good for our movement. This isn't good for what we're doing. People aren't going to you anymore. They're going to Jesus. Like, are you going to say something? Are you going to do something? Are you going to go over there and put your arm around Jesus and be like, hey, remember when I anointed him? Remember when I said that he was the son of God? Like, go, go do something. Get back in the spotlight. Get back in the limelight. You can't just let yourself fade away. That's what they're worried about. Verse 27, John answered, 
A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Man, I, I want that kind of wisdom in my life. I want to look at all the things in my life and remember again and again and again that everything in my life and everything in your life has been given to you by God. Everything. Every good and perfect thing comes from above. Your family, your friends, whatever ministry you have in your life, your influence, your reputation, your job, your connections, your work ethic, all these things have been given to you by God, the ultimate provider. And why does God give us these things? So that we can build up our own kingdom, so that we can make ourselves look important, so that we can point people to us. No, 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 no. John gets it, that it's all been given to him so that he can take it and lay it at the feet of Jesus. He can take those people that influence all the people in his network around him and he can invite them into what God is doing and invite them into his life and then introduce them to Jesus, the greater one to come, Jesus, the savior of the world, Jesus who can change lives and hearts from the inside out. That's the purpose of all that we've been given. John says it's all been given by God. Verse 28, you yourselves Bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. John is saying, this, this isn't my day. The one who has the bride, God's people, the church, that one is the groom. That's, that's Jesus. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John's saying, it's not my wedding day. This life that I'm living is not about me. I am just a groomsman on the side watching Jesus, the groom, marry his bride, God's people, and deliver them from sin and bring them into new life. My job is not to stand in front of the groom and receive God's people. No, no, no. My job is to stand to the side, celebrate the groom, and celebrate with him that our joy might be complete in him and what he has done. It is his day. It's his wedding. And to sum it up, he says in verse 30 of Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. Man, John is an amazing example and model of humility for us. What a way to live your life, to look at your life as everything being given by God for the purpose of introducing the people in your life to Jesus. That's the purpose. That's why he gave you that job. That's why you have those friends from work. That's why he gave you that home. That's why you have those people in your neighborhood. 
That's why he gave you those skills and talents and hobbies and abilities, all those things, and all those people in your life so that you would be a witness to Jesus, that you would point them not to yourself, but to Jesus. And those are really our only two options. We can live one of two lives, point people to ourselves, build our kingdoms, or point people to Jesus and build his kingdom. So my challenge to you as a pastor is that you would invite people into your life, invite people into your community, but then you would introduce them to Jesus. That's how our world changes. That's how our city changes. Personal invitations into our lives and then introducing people to Jesus. Here's why. If we get real practical for a second, I found a survey that I read this past week from 2019, okay? 2019. This is before the pandemic. And the survey from 2019 reveals that 45% of adults admit that they find it hard to make new friends. In fact, the average adult hasn't made a new friend in the last five years. This is before the pandemic. 45% of Americans saying that they haven't made a new friend in five years. And it goes on to say that 45% of those surveyed say that they would go out of their way to make new friends if they knew how or had more opportunities to do so. This is before the pandemic. Almost half of Americans are saying they haven't made a new friend in five years and they would love to make a new friend. They just don't know how to do it. They would go out of their way to make a new friend if they saw an opportunity to do so. What a simple way that we can transform our city and our community by inviting people into our lives and being, being a friend. Man, Invite people into your homes. Like you want to change the world for the gospel? Invite some people over for dinner. Invite people into your hobbies. When you're going fishing this weekend out on the boat, invite that friend from work that you know, that they, they kind of have a desk near yours and you're like friendly and you chat all the time, but like you've never hung out outside of work. Man, take a chance. Invite them to go with you. Maybe you're going to watch the heat game next week. And you're thinking, yeah, you know, my neighbor, we talk about basketball all the time when I pull my trash can out to the driveway. Maybe they'd want to watch the game with me. And you invite them over into your home to watch with you. Invite people into your lives. Be a friend. Be that person. People are looking for friends. Be that friend that they're looking for. And then invite them into your community. You've got a bunch of people around you, right? <coughs> a community of believers, of people who love the Lord. And if we're going to take the Bible at its word, a family of brothers and sisters in the faith that you will live with eternally forever. What a blessing that is to a lonely person who's saying, man, I haven't made a friend in, in five years. I'm looking for people. Invite them into your community. 
Look at the people around you. Invite them into this family. Like you want friends? Look at all these friends. These, all these people could be your friend, right? For a lonely person, man, what a blessing that is. Maybe the next time you are going out to dinner with your community group, maybe you invite a neighbor, a friend from work, maybe a fellow parent from your kid's baseball team or soccer team. And you say, hey, you know, we're, we're going to go grab some lunch with some of my friends from church. Do you, do you want to come and introduce them to your community? I know what you're thinking, like, oh, no. My church friends are weird. I know, I know. <laughs> and then they're going to find out I have friends outside of church, and that friend, they might cuss or order a beer or something. Like, what? Like, let us be an inviting people. Let's work through the awkwardness. Let's work through the challenges of that, but invite the lost people in our community to our faith community to get to know us. This is how we transform our city. Maybe you invite people to your community group. You meet every week and you study the Bible and you talk about Jesus. Maybe there's someone in your life who would really love that and love to be a part of that. You can invite people to, to Alpha. Maybe you've got a friend at work who knows you're a Christian and they're always asking you questions like, hey, what do Christians believe about this? Hey, I, I read that Christians think this way or, or say this. Like, what's the deal? If they've got questions, man, bring them to Alpha. That's an environment specifically designed for people to come and ask questions with no judgment, just to ask questions. Maybe you take this step and you invite them to church. You say, hey, like, I know our relationship's normally not like this. You know, every Sunday I go to church. And here's what we've been talking about. Here's what you've been talking about. And I think this might, might really help you. I know there's risk there. I get that. Like, I'm a pastor. Like, when people ask me what I do, I go, oh, man. I'm a pastor. And then they instantly change. They become a new person. And they stop swearing around me. And I'm just like, okay, I, you know. Like, I get it. Like, I get it. You invite someone to your faith community, and they might think, oh, you're a Christian? They might start to treat you differently. You might bring up your faith. You might talk to someone about Jesus at work or at school. And they might start to think, oh, you're one of those? Like, there's a risk there. I get it. But... Imagine with me, what if we invited someone to our faith community? Invited someone to, to get to know Jesus. And instead of responding with disgust or, or awkwardness, what if they accepted your invitation? What if they did come meet your family of faith? What if they found a group of people kind, hospitable, encouraging, and inviting, who were willing to be their friend and, and walk through the difficult times? What if they were introduced to God's word and found the wisdom that he offers us and how to live? What if through all this, they met Jesus, the Messiah, the one who can transform their life from the inside out can give them, take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh that can send his spirit to dwell within them 
and transform them at a spiritual core level? What if we started to see their family change and their work life change and their community change? What if we started to see our church grow from these friends that God has kind of randomly put in your life, but you think, you know what, maybe God's put them there for a reason. And we start to see our whole city introduced to Jesus and transforming to become more like him. And we start to see all the problems of our cities change because of their introduction to Jesus. John didn't stop at inviting people into his life John didn't stop at inviting people into his teaching, but he took the risk to tell his own followers to stop looking to him for the answers, but to look for Jesus. Why? Because John knew that he could only baptize with water, but Jesus, Jesus baptizes with fire and with the Holy Spirit, that Jesus can change lives, that Jesus can change families and he can change cities for his glory, and for the glory of the gospel. Not only can he change our lives here today, but Jesus can offer new eternal life, something that you and I could never offer to a person. Jesus can offer an eternal life with him forever, forgiveness of sin. So let's take the risk. Let's invite people to that Jesus. It could transform them. When I think about the power of invitation, I think of... One of my former students, Josiah, and Josiah was a great kid, um, just super friendly. Uh, you know, he'd talk your ear off and just a really good guy. People wanted to be around him, just a lot of fun to be around. He had a lot of friends. And one time he was hanging out with his neighbor, Chris, and Chris didn't have as many friends as Josiah, but he loved Josiah and he hung out with Josiah. And Josiah invited him to church to an event that we were doing. I think we were playing dodgeball. Josiah invites Chris to come play dodgeball. And Chris, because Josiah's his friend, says, yeah, sure, I'll come play dodgeball. And they come, they play dodgeball, they have a great time. Chris starts to make friends with other people in Josiah's circle. And over time, starts to come to our church and, and come to youth group and sit under preaching, learning from the scriptures, worshiping together. And over a few months' time, Chris puts his faith in Jesus. And I remember we celebrated that. And one time I was up uh, preaching through this book, through the book of John. And I remember telling the, the students out there, saying, hey, you know what would make me really happy as a youth pastor is if you guys would take, you know, this month, one day, one, one chapter per day, if you would read through the book of John, you could finish this in a couple of weeks. And I looked out at the faces in the crowd and I was like, wow, no one, no one's going to do that. But I believed in faith. <laughs> and a few weeks later, Chris walks up to me and says, hey, Craig, I finished reading the book of John. What should I read next? I was like, oh, Chris, like, you're the best. And I gave him, you know, some other book uh, to read and, and he started reading. But even cooler than that was... A few weeks after that, Chris's mom showed up to pick him up from church, and she came over and she said, hey, can I ask you a couple questions? I said, yeah. She said, Chris has been reading his Bible every morning at breakfast. We didn't even buy him a Bible. Like, where? I was like, oh, yeah, we gave one to him. Sorry. Like, I guess we should have talked about it. 
She's like, no, it's, that's okay. But he has a lot of questions and like, I, you know, she was saying like, I, I'm not familiar with this Bible stuff. Um, so do you have any, any resources you could give to me? And I was like, yeah, here's some resources, here's some stuff. And she said, you know what I've started doing is I've started getting up earlier and reading the Bible before Chris reads it so that I can try to help him and like understand some of these things and answer some of these questions. I was like, man, that's, that's amazing. And I think back to Josiah, invited his friend Chris, said, hey man, do you want to come play dodgeball with us? And because of that small, simple invitation, now every morning, Chris and his mom are sitting around the breakfast table reading God's word, learning about Jesus and growing in their faith in him because of an invitation to play dodgeball. God can use these small invitations, these personal relationships that you have to build his kingdom and transform this city if we will be obedient and let him do so. Let him use us in that way. We're gonna close in a minute in prayer. And for some of you, you might be saying, hey, I, I'm new to this Jesus thing. Like I... I want to be part of it. I don't know all about it, but I, I want to be part of it. The Bible says that if you confess that Jesus is Lord, meaning he is God and he is your king, and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will have eternal life in him forever. And so what I want to do is I want to take a minute and I want to pray. And for those of you who want to be part of that and you want to confess that to God, that you would just pray along with me silently where you are. And for those of you who say, man, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, I'd ask that you would pray. Pray for those who are in that moment looking to make that decision. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Father God, I know that Without Jesus, I'm far from you. That I'm sinful. And Lord, I need you. I need your forgiveness. Lord, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins. I thank you, Lord, for making a way for me to be restored, forgiven, and cleansed by you. Lord, I confess that Jesus is my Lord. He is God and King. That he died on the cross for my sins. And Father, that you raised him back to life. Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit to dwell within me and these friends who have prayed this prayer of confession. And Lord, I pray for our family of faith here that we would be an inviting group of people, that we would see the life that we've been given, the influence that we've been given as a gift from you. And God, that we would use it for you and for your glory. Transform us, Lord. Transform our city. Do it to the praise and glory of your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.
Well, we are gonna close our time together um, with a time of communion. But hey, if you just prayed a prayer um, and you just put your faith in Jesus, we would love to follow up with you. Uh, there's a great way to do that. Easy way to do that is to go to our website. Go to cityrev.org backslash faith. Uh, and just let us know the decision that you've made. And we would love to celebrate with you, send you a gift, and uh, just follow up with you as we best can. But now we're going to enter into a time of communion. And communion is a celebration. It is a remembrance of Jesus' death on the cross. And it is a proclamation or a declaration of our faith in him that he died for our sins and that he has risen again as Lord. So I encourage you, if you are someone who considers yourself a Christian and you have that faith that you would join us. But if you're someone who's still not sure about those things, that's, that's okay. But then you would just hold off until you think you're ready. But for those of you here who would say, yes, Jesus is my Lord. Let's celebrate communion together. I want you to take your elements here you can peel off this top layer and get to the bread. And we'll read some scripture. Then we'll take this bread together. And then we'll read some more scripture. We'll take the juice. And then we'll pray. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's take the bread together In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's take the cup together. Jesus, we remember your sacrifice. We remember your death on the cross for the payment of our sins. Lord, we praise you for doing what we could not do to make a way for us. Jesus, you are good. You are the coming Messiah, the rescuer, the deliverer that we were waiting for the savior of the world, the lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. 
If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.